just likes to have a good time. from here. That was awesome. That was awesome. All right. As Tara said, we're so glad you're here. Take a moment to say hi to somebody.
the same God that never fails will not fail me now. He won't fail me now in the waiting. And the same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. now into our time of communion. And I have a a short scripture I want to share with you. It's not really short, but I'm going to do just a short part of it. And so, um, how do we show the people that we love that we love them? There's lots of ways, right? Buy flowers, presents, give them a hug, 
take them places, tell them. That's the best way, right? I love you so much. <clears throat> In Jeremiah 31, and before and after, the Israelites were scattered. Um, I think a better word for what I want to mean today is separated. They were separated from God and they were separated from each other. And what separated them? Well, there's a whole lot of Bible here to unpack. I'm not the one to do that, but I can tell you a three-letter word that separated them. It's called sin. Sin is what always separates us from God. And I was praying about this, and verse 3, God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah in verse 3, and this is what came to me first. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love, some um, translations say kindness, I have drawn you to myself. Before and after this are the things that God says he's going to do to rebuild, the things he's going to do to restore. But what I really want to focus on is I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with my loving kindness. God has drawn us to this church. God has drawn us to a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the way he showed us that he loves us is he put his son on the cross. I can't think of um, a more amazing way, a more difficult way, a more tragic way to show people that they're loved than to give up your life. And that's what Jesus did. God loved us from before we knew anything about anything, and he'll love us for eternity. And he shows us that today and every day we can take communion and remember that God has loved us with an everlasting love. And he's drawn us with his loving kindness by what he did with Christ on the cross. So this morning when you're taking communion, remember that you are loved with an everlasting love. Amen.
Well, good morning, Southwoods. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you've chosen to be with us here on site or online. We're appreciative of that and trust that the worship already has been encouragement to you and sort of boosted your, your spirits in uh, some meaningful ways. So God's present when we worship and just open your heart to him. And I know you'll hear from him. So uh, we're privileged to have uh, a guest with us today. It's a, somebody that I've known for a long time, really since about my sophomore year of high school. Uh, Brent and I have known each other. We've been, uh, been good friends. We've traveled. and When we were in college, we traveled and we spoke and, and sang and did things in churches all over uh, Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, the, just sort of the Midwest, even into Michigan and some of those areas back in those days. And uh, we've, uh, we've just spent inordinate amounts of time together over the years, <laughs> just, just a lot. But uh, what that is to say to you is to say that I know Brent really well and what I know about Brent that is particularly um, something I appreciate is that Brent sincerely walks with God, and he sincerely is seeking God. And, you know, in the days in which we live, which are uh, unique, um, it's important for us to hang with people who are walking with God. We need to be witnesses. We need to be encouragers to others, but we need to hang with people who walk with God, and I'm privileged to be able to hang with Brent some. So uh, uh, we've asked him to come and uh, speak to us this morning and tonight and tomorrow night and Tuesday night and Wednesday Wednesday night, if I got my calendar right in my head as I was saying that, but he's going to spend some time with us talking about his theme is Thy Kingdom Come, and I'm He's going to introduce that and uh, explain all of that, kind of what we're talking about, what we got in mind. But uh, I want you to bow your heads with me. We're going to pray, and then Brent's going to come speak. And uh, just hope you'll listen real close to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you uh, through uh, his servant, Brent. All right? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace, and thank you for your word. And the opportunity we have to open it and to just hear from you. And um, thank you that you use... Uh, broken vessels, flawed individuals like me, like Brent, like others, to, uh, to teach your word, to, to communicate your thoughts. But I ask God that the, this morning you'd help us to just look right past the vessel and to hear from you. That's what we need. We desperately need guidance from you, Holy Spirit. So speak, and we promise to listen, and with your help and strength, obey. Thanks for your grace and being with us now. In Jesus' name, we lift this prayer. Amen. Would you join me? And I know many of you know Brent. Welcome him with me, all right? Brent. Oh, it is good to be here with you again, Southwoods Christian Church. Tanya and I uh, always love coming up here, not just because we love Greg and Lori. We do. But we also love this church. We have had the privilege of uh, walking the Holy Land with some of you a couple times and look forward to doing that again and uh, so thankful for that opportunity. We've had the opportunity to share uh, from this very stage and sharing the Passover celebration with you. And that's always been a meaningful time too, as well as uh, I think we've done a Revelation seminar here before. And so we're really looking forward to this. And I'm really looking forward to this because of the topic at hand. Um, Greg and I were talking about what we wanted to focus on, and I just have felt like uh, we're right at a place where this message, the topic of the kingdom of God, could not be more relevant 
to what we are living in right now, especially in lieu of the fact that so many of uh, the nations, really we are kingdoms in conflict, aren't we? I mean, it's not just internally. We, we sometimes get very myopic and we think that America is the only one that is rocking and reeling from all of these COVID things. But, but I mean, political alliances, social alliances, economic realities are changing. And it's, I don't know if there's any country that you could flee to where you would find any kind of satisfaction in whatever the government is doing during this time. We need a king and we need him now. Amen? And so this is a great season for us to be focusing on the kingdom of God. And that's what we're really going to be talking about this morning uh, as we kind of introduce a subject. And then for the next four nights as we kind of dive in uh, to this topic, this Thy Kingdom Come conference. Now I have to be real honest with you. Growing up, I didn't know anything about the kingdom of God beyond the terminology. And then I went to Israel in 1990 on my first trip and experienced watching the fulfillment of biblical prophecy right in front of my face. And I had to come back and I had to retool. The Lord had to retool some thinking. Because as we went through the Holy Land and I saw this biblical prophecy, the, the, the tour host would say, look at this, and then he'd read a passage. Look at this, and then he'd read a passage. I thought, hmm... Something is not right in my understanding of what God is doing. And so when I came home, I got fired up about diving in to, to the knowledge of Israel. And I, I fell in love with a part of the scripture I really was very surprised to fall in love with, the Torah. My wife and I were sitting uh, in church one Sunday and a preacher started to preach. And he said, I mean, how many of you really are excited about reading from the book of Leviticus? I'm the only one in the room going, well, uh, mm, mm. you know, I kind, I kind of enjoy that book. I fell in love with the law of God and all the things that it revealed. I fell in love with the tabernacle and the temple and the way that it revealed the Messiah Jesus to us. And I really fell in love with the times of the Lord. These seven holy, divinely appointed times that God instructed Israel to set aside to him as times when uh, he would meet with them. And these seven divinely appointed times were not just the anniversaries of significant moments of revelation and redemption uh, and great miracles that he had done in their past, but every year from that point on, it would become kind of the calendar of God, and God would continue to do these things. That's why we celebrate the Passover meal of the Lamb on the Feast of Passover, because it set the calendar in motion. I fell in love with those things. I fell in love with the Passover, and I know you guys have continued to do that even when Tanya and I are not able to be here with you. I also fell in love with the last of those seven holy days. A holiday or holy day called Sukkot. The Feast of Tabernacles, it was a time when God commanded Israel to dwell in temporary shelters, in tents, in tabernacles, to remember not only that God had dwelt with them in the wilderness in a temporary dwelling in the tabernacle, but ultimately that was a part of a journey to a permanent relationship where God would not just dwell among them, but he would dwell within them. And so as much as I enjoy celebrating the Passover Seder, to this day, I love tabernacles, and I love to go camping at tabernacles. And uh, 
I, I love this holiday because I've, I've discovered that the, whether it's the Torah, the temple, or the times of the Lord, all the terminology that you read in the New Testament comes from those three. The Torah, the temple, or the time. And so if you want to understand what you're reading in the New Testament, this is kind of the curriculum that gives us the definitions. So for years, we've enjoyed going out and camping in, in, in Wellston Christian Church, where we recently just concluded a 12 and a half year ministry. We would set up a big tent, and for about two weeks, we would do all our services out under the tabernacle. This year, we were going to uh, have the blessing of going out to one of the largest, the largest tabernacles gatherings in the United States in Chandler, Oklahoma, and camp with seven to 800 other people. And uh, because we had just ended our ministry in uh, Wellston, we thought, well, this time we're really going to be able to, to really camp. And so we went out and we rented um, our little temporary dwelling was going to be a trailer that we rent, a little camper trailer for five nights. Yeah, we got to stay in them all of two nights. Most expensive overnight accommodations ever, and it was a camper. And here's why. A week before we were to begin our time camping, we got a text from a young man who lives in Illinois who is like, for us, an adoptive son. He is an Israeli who I met when he was eight years old while we were doing ministry in Tel Aviv. And we fell in love, and I've just kind of been there with him throughout his life. And uh, we received this text. He's now living in Springfield, Illinois, and married that they had had their first baby boy. And that was great. Except you know what happens with Jewish boys eight days after their birth, right? The Brit Milah, the circumcision service, and it was going to fall right in the middle of the time that we were supposed to be camping. So rather than enjoying the lovely accommodations that we had rented. <laughs> Instead, we got on a plane and we flew to Springfield, Illinois, so that we could participate in, well, we could watch this Brit Milah service. You've got to choose your terminology here carefully. <laughs> this was not the first eighth-day circumcision service that I had been a part of. I knew it was a big deal because years ago when I lived in, uh, tele or in Jerusalem, uh, I had gone to a Messianic Jewish family who had twin boys, and I had seen the big celebration. I thought, man, you think you guys eat when you have a wedding? You should see what they do when it's time to celebrate the circumcision and the naming of these boys. What was interesting about this is that um, the young man that we love so much, and I'm for his privacy's sake, I'm not going to mention his name, but uh, he's not overly religious, but he called upon a group of Orthodox Jewish people who are very friendly. You probably have them here in Kansas City as well, called the Chabad. And the Chabad is an Orthodox movement, and they do things for their fellow Jews. And so we got to fly out, and we even got to eat uh, dinner one night in their sukkah, in their tabernacle, because it was right in the middle of tabernacles uh, in this man's home or outside in his tabernacle. And then the next morning to attend the Brit Milah. And I have to tell you, I, I kind of enjoyed reminding them that the tradition of naming the boy at the circumcision, the oldest written record of that tradition followed by Jews to this day is none other than the New Testament. Remember in Luke chapter uh, 1 verse 59, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, is made to be silent until the day of John's circumcision comes and he has to write, no, his name will be Yochanan, his name will be John. And then the Lord restored his voice. In uh, 
Luke chapter 2, verse 21, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple for his brit milah, and they call his name Yeshua. Because the angel had said he will save his people from their sins. And so they name him Yeshua because it means salvation. So I kind of enjoyed uh, telling them, you know, you're a little bit dependent on the New Testament right now, whether you like it or not. (laughs) And it was a privilege to be there when they called the boy's name for the first time. It got me kind of thinking about the eighth day. Tabernacles has an eighth day. In fact, it's one of the most important days in this seven-day feast that's followed by this eighth day. It's one of the most important and most holy days of the event. It is so holy that it has four different names. For some, it is referred to as Shemini Atzeret, which means the eighth-day assembly. So at the end of Tabernacles, on the eighth day, something is going to happen that they're going to come together and they're going to have this holy convocation and something very significant is going to begin on that day. Sometimes it is also referred to as Simchat Torah. Simcha is the word for joy. And so what they do in the synagogues today at Simcha Torah is they will get the Torah scrolls out of the ark and they will walk them through the synagogue and people will take them and they will touch them and they will celebrate and they will even dance with them. That's also known by the name Hoshana Rabbah, which means the great salvation. But the name of that holy day that caught my attention and I hope that it will begin to capture your heart and attention today, is that this eighth day assembly was the day of the great supplication. Now, supplication isn't a word that maybe some of our young people don't even know what it means. Supplication means where you cry out to God to supply you with something. It it, It is a prayer. It's an earnest, heartfelt cry that God would provide what you need. It is called this because on that day, Israel would begin a season to collectively pray for one thing. And it would, in this season of prayer, and they still do it today, a season of great supplication to ask God to send the rain. Now, they don't start praying that until the eighth day. And there's a little bit of logic to that. If you're outside dwelling in a tent, in a temporary dwelling, which, by the way, you're not supposed to have a solid top because you're supposed to be able to see through to the stars, which is God's tabernacle, you don't want it to rain. Whenever we take tour groups to Israel, we go into a prayer battle with the rabbis because every tour group that goes to Israel is saying, oh, Lord, don't send the rain. Not now. Wait. Wait till our group, the only group in the land that matters, wait till our group has seen all these things and have moved on. Meanwhile, in the synagogue, the rabbis are praying, Lord God, do not listen to the prayers of the tourists. Send the rain. (laughs) Now, this is especially true in the fall of the year when at the eighth day assembly, Israel begins to pray. Lord God, send the rain. Their rainy season is what we call our winter. And 
and they pray, believing he will answer. How awesome would it be that you believed God would fulfill his word so much that you wouldn't pray too soon because it might interrupt. I mean, that's kind of a weird way to have faith. But why did they have that faith? Because in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, it says this, It shall come about if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and your soul, that he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. God promises his covenant people, Listen to him. Seek him with all their heart and soul because he will send the rain. Now, church, listen to me this morning. Our nation is drying up. We are in a famine, a drought. We have become and are becoming a barren wasteland in some parts of the land physically, but even worse, spiritually. We are in a season in our land where we desperately need to hear the word of the Lord. We desperately need him to send the rain. Amen? We're in that season right now. I ask you, as we focus this week on the kingdom of our Messiah, the kingdom of Yeshua, our great salvation, will you join me? In the eighth day assembly, will you join me in celebrating the joy of our salvation? Will you join me in asking God, Lord God, send the rain? I caution you, don't pray it if you're not ready for it. Let's pray. Oh, Abba Father, this is your time. We are your people. And we need you. We need you to send the rain. We need the presence of your Holy Spirit. Your people need guidance as nations and kingdoms come further and further into conflict internal and external, with the threat of wars and rumors of wars looming louder every day. Meet us here today. And Father, for those who are in this room and those who are watching from home right now, who are willing and ready to receive your word, I pray, Lord God, send the rain. In the name of our great salvation, Yeshua, I pray. Amen. I, uh, I like movies. I shouldn't. But I do. And there's a movie that I really like. But I, have to, I understand it's not everybody's cup of tea. And quite honestly, that is because it's, it's a premise that only those with an extremely high Q can really kind of digest. I mean, it's more, it's more geared for the intellectual set. 
It's, it's about these alien beings who come to live on the earth. They're living robots. They're, they're like mechan living mechanical beings. And so to hide out on the earth, they disguise themselves. You could say they transform themselves into automobiles. Now, if I've lost you already, it's probably because this just is not your cup of tea. It's an IQ thing, I understand. You have to have a certain mindset to, to buy into this ludicrous concept. But there's a scene in one of the movies that moves me. I, I happen to be a, had the privilege of being a football coach for eight years, and so I like fiery speeches. I like things that fire up my soul. And there's this one little brief scene in the movie where the, the bad mechanical robot beings Well, this is really a dumb concept, isn't it? Anyway, are, are attacking. And they've got some of our U.S. military, some of our finest pinned down in the desert. It's like, oh, no, you don't. You don't come against the U.S. military, but there's there, these crazy things are attacking. And so the, the, the U.S. military, this guy gets on the radio and he starts calling for air support. And so the Air Force comes in and they strafe him with one round. And that does, that's not enough and says, no, no, bring the saber rounds. You know, the kind that like blow up in fire when they hit. And I love this scene. Because while they're hunkered down and they're taking enemy fire and they're being oppressed, this U.S. military guy says, bring the rain. Bring the rain. Now that just fires me up. Maybe it's because I'm just an old football coach. I'm like, yeah. Ooh, bring the rain. I've got a real complicated sermon outline for you today. I have three points. Number one, bring the rain. You're not writing. <laughs> Number two, bring the rain. Number three, bring the rain. All right, you're awake. Now, those of you at home, stop looking at the other channels and come back. Pay attention. So here we go. In this season, believing that our great salvation, will hear and answer his covenant people. I come to you this morning to say there's, there are people, the body of Christ needs to begin praying, bring the rain, R-E-I-N. You know, like the reins of a horse. I had a privilege of, I had the privilege of growing up in South Oklahoma City. We have a saying in Oklahoma, don't ask somebody if they're from Oklahoma. If they're not, you'll embarrass them, so just don't, just don't ask. And by the way, we did show up yesterday with Texas. Sooner or later, we do show up. And his return is sooner now than when we first believed. I could go on, but I won't. Anyway, I had the privilege of growing up in South Oklahoma City, so I'm a city kid. However, a block from my house, there was this open, this 40 acres that was undeveloped, and they had some horses there. And one of my buddies around the corner, his dad actually trained race horses, and he was going back and forth between Oklahoma City and Rio Dosa. So I got to go down there, and on this 40 acres, they would, 
the neighbor, some of the neighborhood kids who, had the, who actually got the pony for Christmas, they would have places to stable these horses. And so I had the privilege of growing up, uh, uh, learning to ride and rope and all that stuff. And so I thought I was quite the great horseman. But a few years ago, I went to Colorado. Uh, I think I was taking my nephew and some friends. And uh, we, uh, <laughs> we uh, went to um, uh, go horseback riding. And uh, we went to this place. It was right down the, very near where Greg and Lori liked to camp, where we liked to camp near Buena Vista. And so they were, and I wasn't even as big as I am now, but they, they started, they took one look at me and went, yeah, we're going to have to bring a big one for him. <laughs> and so they took me around the corner because the horse for me was in a separate stall. <laughs> and this animal was humongous. And it was not a horse. It was a mule. And the head of that, I'm not exaggerating. I know preachers do sometimes. I've heard that. I've never actually done it. But I am telling you the truth. The head on this mule was at least twice the size of every other horse in that stable. He was huge. I'm thinking, I've got to straddle that beast? I got on that mule and they gave me the reins. And I thought, these are the most worthless pieces of leather in the history of leather reins. Why? Because I was smart enough to know that mule wasn't going to listen to me. With one flick of his head, he could throw me 15 feet off that thing. I watched as we began to walk the trails. The other horses, yeah, they didn't mess with my ride. I mean, one kick in there in horsey heaven. He, I'm, I'm not exaggerating this horse. And actually, a few years later, I went back again. They put me on the same mule. It was as if God was saying, you're going to learn this lesson one where how painful it is. You're going to learn it. My friends, I learned something that day. Reigns have no value if the stubbornness of the animal you are trying to lead will not respond to them. I knew on that trail I could pull as hard as I wanted to the right. That, whore, that mule was going to go where he wanted to go. He knew it's not time to go right. I don't want to go right. When I saw other people's horses bend down to chew some grass or get some drink, and they would fight him, I'm like, uh-uh. There was no way I was going to fight that mule because those reins were worthless. Now, we're looking at our nation right now, and uh, we are a nation that has become unruly. We have become stubborn and arrogant and willful. But church, I want you to hear my heart and soul today. The condition of our nation is a reflection of the spiritual condition of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the country. We have become like mules. And we need to go into a season of saying, Lord God, bring the rain. Now, I, when I, I, this is the third time I've preached this, and this is what I know. As we go through each one of these points, you're going to know which one is the one you need to pray. Because I'm convinced that some of you know right now you are the mule. And God's reigns mean nothing to you. And it's not as if he hasn't been tugging. 
When he tries to flood your mind with a worship song, but you want to stay angry, you want to stay bitter, you want to stay broken. You want to maintain the behavior that you know is destroying you. And he's tugging not to harm you, but to lead you to a better place. But you're the mule. And those reins mean nothing. And I'm telling you, church, if we don't go into a season where we are crying out to God, Lord God, bring the rain, we're in trouble. There is never a revival in the history of the world that did not begin with repentance. Some of you need to go into a season right now saying, Lord God, I know I've been willful. I, 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 had, a, I had a phone call from a friend of mine the other day. And every time I get a phone call from him, I love him dearly. But I know what it's going to be. It's going to be about how much his life is in chaos. Because he has the reins. You know if that's you today. And I would plead with you to stop worrying about the direction of our nation and make sure you're the one responding to the leading of the Lord. Point number two, bring the rain, R-A-I-N. When Greg and I were in Bible college, at Cincinnati Bible College, may she rest in peace. I don't remember if you went on this. We were forced to go on an earth science camping trip to Kentucky. And I went down. They took us down to this camping trip. And I ended up in a tent that could sleep five people. And I was the young guy, so I ended up being on right in front of the door. Now, men who are called into ministry are often passionate, caring, insightful. They can also be dumb. So these future young ministers decided to pitch their tent on a slope with the front door of the tent facing up the hill, which is where I was positioned. And the Lord brought the rain. And the waterfall through the front door, down my sleeping bag, I was soaked. Some married couples had pulled a camper and they were further up the hill, and they said if I needed to, I could come up there. So after a while, you know, the grass is always green, and I, I got to get, I'm be soaked by morning. So I got up, and I rang my sleeping bag out, and I went to the camper. And the only place for me to lay down was in the aisle, and there's two of them sleeping here, and there's another couple back there. Well, the couple back there decided they want to play a trick on the couple up here. And I'm laying on the walkway where I can remain dry. But the guy in the back decides he's going to dump a whole cup of cold water on his buddy right there. But he forgot I was right there. And so here I had gone seeking ref refuge. He trips over me, throws the cup of water straight up in the air, and it comes down right on my chest. I was not praying bring the rain that night. But there is a time... And there is a season when we need, our prayer needs to be bring the rain. 
God promised to send the physical rain to bring about a harvest of new grain and new wine and new oil. And I don't say this to shame you, but I know that some of you are sitting here today and some of you who are watching at home have not experienced anything new in your spiritual life and you can't even remember the last time you had a touch from the Lord, the last time you walked away and knew that you had encountered the Holy Spirit. And you're just dry. Years ago, I went home to my home church in Oklahoma City. I was ministering in Indiana, but I went home because there was, they were going to have a revival. And I, the Lord had laid on my heart that I should be there. And it was such a blessing because at that particular revival, I saw my Down syndrome brother give his life to the Lord. And uh, that made what happened a couple weeks ago when he passed into his eternal reward much easier to deal with. But I remember Sunday morning, the preacher got up there and he, he was preaching. He came to the invitation time. And before he even gave the invitation, people were coming. Now, this is a Christian church. This is a very, not something that happens very often. People were coming forward and kneeling on the steps. And my dad got up and he said, called on the elders and other ministers to come. And, you know, I, I kind of laughed to myself when he asked the elders to come forward. I said, because I was thinking, you don't have that many elders. I'd never seen that kind of response. And dad, knowing I was, he said, Brent, you come and pray with these people. And so I came and I got a couple and we went out the side door, went to a little room and I knelt down in front of him. I said, what can I pray for you about? And they said, you're not going to believe this. Now, remember what I'm describing that happened that morning was not regular. It was not something that happened all the time. He said, we were already at another church. My wife and I were sitting there. The, the prelude had been played. They were in the opening prayer and I cried out to God, God, I can't stay dry anymore. I'm barren. I need something from you. And the Holy Spirit told him, get up and go to Draper Park Christian Church right now. He grabbed his wife's hand, jerked her up in the middle of prayer and said, we're out of here. Now I'm telling you, 51 other times this, that year, he could have shown up at that church and that wasn't going to happen. But on that day, God heard his prayer for rain. Do you, do you understand? Have you ever been there? I've been there. Just wondering, God, where are you? Wondering, are you done with me? The Lord's been very gracious to show me some amazing things in Scripture, but I went through a period a few years ago where I was like, Lord, it just seems like heaven is pretty silent right now. What's going on? And I cried out to him, so we came up to the International House of Prayer, and I'm not going to defend their theology or whatever. I, I like it. It's a place where I can go in and just be with the Lord. And I went in there one day and sat down and started to pray and like, Lord, you know, I had my list. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, no, put that away. And I said, all right. And he led me to this, to Ephesians chapter one, verse 17 and 18. He says, this is Paul's prayer. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And man, I became really myopic about Ephesians 1.18. The eyes of my heart would be enlightened. That I would continue to receive revelation and understanding from the, from the Lord. And so that became my prayer. And I don't know if you've ever been to IHOP, but it's not like a church service. You don't just sit when you, they tell you to sit and stand when they tell you to stand. 
you, you just do what you want. You can get up and you can pace. You can sit, you can study, you can sing, whatever. I'm kind of a pacer. And so I got up and I began to pray, and this is what I prayed. I said, Lord, is Ephesians 1.18 for me? Because you've seemed kind of distant lately, and I know that's me. And I'm just kind of wondering, Lord, are you done with me? Is there anything new for me? And I just kept saying, Lord, is Ephesians 1.18 for me? Is Ephesians 1.18 for me? And I prayed this for an hour and a half. Now, not out loud. Everybody around me wasn't saying, would you be quiet? They didn't know what was going on between me and the Lord. But I kept praying, Lord, is Ephesians 1.18 for me? Is Ephesians 1.18 for me? Finally went and sat back down. And normally I would sit on the end seat because I'm a little claustrophobic. But for some reason, I sat on the second seat in. Next thing I know, I felt a hand on my shoulder. And a young lady slid in beside me and she said, listen, I know I'm not supposed to do this in here. I mean, they have rooms where that's supposed to happen. She said, but I believe I have a word from the Lord for you. And I said, okay. And she said, I believe the Lord wants me to say to you, Ephesians 1.18 is for you. What would you do in that moment? She asked me, does that mean anything to you? I said, no. <laughs> Through tears and laughter, I said, oh, yeah. Can I say something to you today who are needing some new wine? You need some new grain. You need some new harvest. You just need a, a, a new touch. You just, you just need to know that the Lord is not done with you. Ephesians 1.18 is for you. Lord God, send the rain. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter gets done preaching, a lot of people think that's his evangelistic sermon, but the truth of the matter is it's his sermon explaining what they're seeing and hearing. At the end of that sermon, Peter stands up and says, This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ, and he has ascended to the right hand of the majesty in heaven, and he has received from the Lord the promise, and he is pouring out what you see in here. If you won't turn to the great salvation, you won't receive what's in his hand because it's been given to him to pour out. And I ask you today, and you know if you're in that place, maybe it's time to go into a season of praying, Lord God, bring the rain. One second, zero seconds to preach the third point. <laughs> What's he going to do, fire me? Preach, preach num point number three, yes. bring the rain. R-E-I-G-N. The rain, as in thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth in us as it is in heaven. This week is about the kingdom of God. When Jesus began to preach, it says that he began to declare, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
It really means it's drawn near. We're going to talk about this week. He, in Hebrew, he would have said, Malkut HaShemayim, the kingdom of heaven has drawn near to you. Why? So that you could experience its power. So that the kingdom of heaven would not be something that was far off and distant, but something you would know God has drawn near to you. Not just so you can go, oh, that's a nice thing. So that its power could be released in you. If there is anything the church of this generation needs, it is the kingdom power that we were always supposed to walk in, that was always promised to us. When we were doing ministry one time in Tel Aviv, we would do ministry at the end of the night, and then we'd go back to the hotel with the college students, we would debrief, and I've probably told you this story before, but when we started to go around the circle asking the kids about certain conversations they had had with different young people on the beach there in uh, Tel Aviv, in the Tayelet, the first person started saying, well, I was talking to this girl, and she said something to the effect that, wow, I sense light within you. And the person next to her looked and said, wow, that's really weird, because I was talking to these guys, and, and, and they said, man, you, you have great light. I walked over to a young lady that Tanya was sitting there talking to, and as soon as I walked away, she said something to the effect, your husband has great light within him. And every single person, we were just all freaking out as it was going around the circle, till the last guy, he started laughing. He said, you're not going to believe what happened to me. We said, what? He said, I was talking to this young lady, and she started giggling in the middle of our conversation. And he's, I thought I had said something, maybe I'd mispronounced the Hebrew word, I'd said something silly, and she just started giggling. And he said, what? She goes, you don't understand. She looked at him and she said, you're glowing. That's the kingdom of God. That is the countenance of his presence in your life. And we are called to be kingdom countenance people. How many of you would like to taste the power of God in your life? How many of you would like to see the man that you would not just hear about someone else's manifestations of his power, but you would be the vehicle of that manifestation? Lord God, bring the rain. Bring the kingship, the lordship, the authority, the power, the grace, the goodness, the mercy, and shine it not only on me, but through me. Some of you are bored with Christianity. Ha! How can you be bored when you could possibly, tomorrow morning, this very day, you could be the one to walk into a restaurant and have a divine appointment. When someone sees the countenance of the Lord upon you, you could be the one who receives that word of knowledge, that, that word of wisdom to speak to a friend, and you would know it hadn't come from you. It had come from the Father. If there was a season, listen, it is so dark out there. You know, we used to tell the young people when we'd minister in Israel, you may not get into a detailed conversation. You may not get to all your points about who Jesus is. But you can't hide the light, especially in the darkness. And my friends, Jesus not only said he was the light of the world, he said you're the light of the world. My friends, that is the kingdom reigning in us. So what's your prayer today? We're still in the season of the Eighth Day Assembly. Some of you are here today and you know your prayer needs to be bring the rain, Lord. I've been, it's, it's not that you failed me, it's that I'm not paying attention to you. You know he's been tugging. You know he's been tugging. But you just keep going. Are you willing to submit to him today and let him take the rain? Some of you are here today and you need that sustenance, 
it's, maybe, maybe it's even physical provision. COVID has ransacked so many jobs, and, and you need the rain of his goodness poured into your life. Don't be ashamed to ask. He is a covenant, loyal father and savior, and you can ask him to bring the rain, to provide. Some of you just need, you're just dry. You're in a barren place, and you just need to be willing to admit it and say, God, send the rain. I just need that connection. And some of you are walking in faith But the full kingship, the full kingdom, you know, that's a great story, but that's never going to happen to me. Ephesians 1.18 is for you. And some of you need to change your prayer life. Could you just go on a fast and just trust that God knows how sick you are? I mean, he's got, I, I don't want to take away prayer for the sick. I think that's a manifestation of the kingdom of God. But sometimes we get so focused on just praying for people that are sick, we, we, we forget to manifest, to be open vehicles for his kingdom to reveal itself. Maybe this is the time for you to say, you know what? Bring the rain. I, when we go to Israel, there's one thing about American tourists. They behave like Americans wherever they go. <laughs> we just can't shed our identity. Maybe some of you need to just take up your identity. Maybe this Eighth Day Assembly needs to be a reminder of what your name is and what he's called you. When you called on the name of the Lord and gave your life, you know, a couple people are going to pass through the waters of baptism today. And when they come up on the other side, guess what? Jesus is king of their lives. I don't know if you have a public decision you need to make as the worship team comes back. I think they're coming back. I don't know what happens here. Um, <laughs> maybe not. No? Okay. I'll hum a few bars. While I hum, you let the Holy Spirit do whatever he wants. But this moment is your moment. Lord God, bring the rain. What we want to invite you to do this morning is if you need prayer for anything, we want to invite you to come on down. We'll be happy to pray with you, talk with you. Um, I just hope you'll join me in praying, Lord, bring the rain, bring the rain. Hope you'll join us tonight, 630. Uh, some of you are thinking to yourself, oh, the cheese play tonight. Come on, come on. I mean, I love the Chiefs as much or more than any of you, but... They don't get wound up until about the halftime anyway. So you'll, you'll, see, you'll see the second half. So come tonight and uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, with us tonight. And then I uh, want to encourage you, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, come back. Because I think if you hang in here with us through the whole, th through the whole thing, um, God will bring the rain that you need, that we need, we as a church need. So let's stand together close, all right? Father in heaven, thank you so much for your faithfulness and for your presence. And thank you for your word this morning through Brent to all of us. Lord, we, we want to hear and we want to receive and we want to obey. 
We want to be light in a dark place. We want your reign to not just be in us, but to flow through us into the world in which we live, places we go, relationships that are part of our lives. We, we need you. Our nation needs you. Our world needs you more than ever. So come and by your grace, fill us and use us to represent Christ wherever we go. Now go with us as we leave this place and reflect on these things. Would you help us to walk in your ways and bring us back together safely this evening that we might just continue to think on this, uh, this line of thinking and be received from you, O oh Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.